0: This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Asian Insider, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm your host, Nirmal Ghosh. And today we are going to talk about an issue that really should be in the news more often than it is, because it is the fourth most common cancer in women. I'm talking about cervical cancer. Now, next month, January, is in fact Global Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. And I have as my guest today, Budi Gunari Sadikin, Minister of Health of the world's fourth most populous nation, third largest democracy spread over thousands of islands the Republic of Indonesia. Budi, thank you for joining me today on Asian Insider. Thank you, Nirmal. So, Minister, Indonesia's cervical cancer rate is higher than the global average. It is the second leading type of cancer in women in Indonesia, around 36,000 diagnosed every year, roughly 70% of those are at advanced stages. So the mortality rate is high. When you were in Washington DC recently, you announced a very ambitious goal, the elimination of cervical cancer as a public health concern. Now, I didn't go too much into your background because that would be a very long introduction. You have worked with IBM in Tokyo, Bank Mandiri in Indonesia and so on. But can you take me back to what sparked your interest and commitment personally to this issue?
1: What triggered you to say, this is what we must do? My background is a nuclear physicist. I spent 30 years in banking industry. I'm running as a CEO of the largest bank in the country. And then the president asked me in the middle, in the beginning, actually, of the pandemic, you know, to help him tackle the pandemic. Zero background in healthcare. So, and I only have three years and nine months because I came replacing somebody, the incumbent. And President very clearly gave me three tasks. One is to execute the vaccinations, which is in 18 months, Indonesia successfully delivering 420 million jabs to 205 million people. Number two is to control the pandemic, which is we and many other countries have done successfully. And number three, do the biggest ever reform in Indonesia healthcare sector. So then we started with several key strategies, and one of them is to reduce, you know, mortality rate from non-communicable diseases. Rank number one is stroke, 300,000 deaths every year. Number two is heart disease, 250,000. And then cancer number three, 234,000. And as you mentioned, cervical cancer is the number two in women that kills, you know, uh, Indonesian women. So that's why we embarked a very serious initiative starting from the promotive, preventive side until curative side, how to handle this uh, cervical cancer. And what pushed me uh, is during the health minister's APAC meeting in Seattle, I believe it was in August, if I'm not mistaken, I met this secretary, Becerra, and he said, Budi, on the leaders' meeting in San Francisco, we would like to push this project moonshot initiated by by the American government to reduce uh, significantly the cancer mortality. And we know that you are working on it passionately. Why don't we work together? So that's why I have support also from the American private sector, American institution, to develop this cervical cancer strategy because this is one of the weakest of Indonesian uh, cancer strategy. So uh, during the leaders' APAC meeting in San Francisco, Indonesia launched formally this National Strategic Plan of Elimination of Cervical Cancer until 2030. And that is with the support of our friends from the United States.
0: Very interesting. Uh, given the size of Indonesia and the scale of it, what is the scale and scope of the problem of cervical cancer?
1: So, the Indonesian, we have 278 million population across 7,000 islands. And almost half of them are women. So women is around 140 million women. Indonesian cancer fatality rate is very high. I talked with many experts. With current technology, you can reduce the fatality rate below 30%, but you have to be able to identify the cancer in stage one. If you identify the cancer in stage three or four, the fatality rate is uh, rising to 70 80%. So Indonesian cancer is very high fatality rate. So it's very clear that I have to change my strategy. Now, around 70 to 80% of Indonesian women die because of late stage detections. So my first strategy is to push the detections. So hopefully 70 to 80 percent not identify in stage 3 or 4, but to identify in stage 1 or 2. So that's why we embarked a very massive screening. Upgrading the technology from Pap smear to IVA test, and we this year we launched the aggressive new technology called HPV DNA in seven provinces out of thirty-eight with this technology. For this massive screening, hopefully we can identify early and then reduce the fatality rate. So that is the first strategy. Uh, This cancer is caused by virus many cancer are caused by virus only one is cervical cancer and then environment change your know, radiations uh, pollutions, uh, smoking etc and mutation of your gene. so because this is the the cancer that generated by virus it can be eliminated but you need a massive immunization programs the vaccines are available it made by american company msd but we haven't implemented it yet for the last 10 years So Indonesia, this year also, start enrolling the national vaccination program for the women uh, 10 to 11. Next two years, will increase to 15 to 16. Next two years after that, we increase to 21. And then after that, the boys as the transmitter. That will involve around 40 to 50 million adult vaccinations. So those vaccinations and this uh, aggressive screening, hopefully we can fix the cervical cancer earlier. Because this key strategy is to fix this problem earlier, not later. To fix in the promotive and preventive side, not on the curative side.
0: So a lot of people have appreciated the scale of this ambition. And you have said Indonesia will leapfrog. Can you explain to me how you will do this? And can you also explain the 90-75-90 target concept? What needs to be done to get
1: there? Our target is by 2030, we achieve the target. So hopefully we can, we can identify, screen 90% of our populations, 90% get immunizations, you know, 90% get vaccinations, and then we can get them to the treatment. So as a public health officials, I believe that the right strategy in cancer is to do early detections, to do promotive and preventive actions, because it's a much cheaper cost and better quality of life. You know, you know If you get cancer stadium three and four, if you are rich, you can pay to a good hospital, but your quality of life is very, very ugly. Chemotherapy, radiotherapy, nobody wants to do it. It's better you handle it earlier. So what I mentioned to you, the first strategy and prevention is to do massive immunizations. And you're talking about 50 to 60 million women. And then after that, you do a massive screening. So all women between 30 to 60 will be screened twice in their life using the latest technology. And if we finish these immunizations and early detections, if we found any early indications, we have a primary treatment. We call it a thermal ablation. So you use a small device that can be implemented at 10,000 primary clinics. You don't have to go to the hospital. And use this thermal ablation techniques, which I learned from Andy Anderson, again, at an American hospital, and we can do an early treatment for women that got potential cervical cancer. And then after that, of course, if you pass this three stages, hopefully only a small portion of it need to be treated in hospital. But the massive initiative to leapfrog in reducing the death of the cervical cancer we Push this initiative early. We are talking about millions and millions of people in immunizations by vaccine, which is made by, by MSD. Second is by massive screening, 30 to 60, using the HPV DNA technology, the latest one. And then, you know, early treatment, using the thermal ablations. And these activities is not done at the hospital. Because for your information, we have 38 provinces like state. And we have 540 cities. We have 10,000 districts. So usually we put the hospital in the cities. District, we have primary health care clinics. So we would like to push down everything to address the complexity of 7,000 islands inhabited. We push it down to 10,000 primary health care clinics that can do immunization, can do screenings, and also can do early treatment. And that is the massive work that we need to do in the next five to ten years. Very
0: interesting. So you obviously, in a country as big and complex as yours, what was the strategy in terms of making it inclusive, getting everybody on board, including the government, the population and the government and everybody? What were the particular challenges that Indonesia has faced or faces in terms of mustering support across the population and across the government
1: machinery? When I joined this institution, I'm lucky that I used to work as a banker. And I'm running, and I, I was the CEO of the largest bank in the country. So the good thing about the banker, you give money to everybody. So they know you and they owe you. Basically, that is the, the thing. So when we would like to embark the vaccination program, 210 people in 7,000 inhabited islands, I exactly faced that difficulties, like what you mentioned. Then I talked to the government uh, from Ministry of Health. Government are not the most efficient and effective organizations in almost every country. I I, I can chant with you. So I said, impossible if we do it this initiative alone, we have to do this together. It is impossible that we do it exclusively as our initiative. We need to do this inclusively. So every component of our country will help us to do that. We cannot approach this as a program. We have to approach this as a movement. So, program, all the credit goes to me. A movement, all the credit goes to everyone. And Indonesia, as a nation, is very famous because we have a very strong social capital. But the problem is we need to unlock the social capital. When everybody feels that or they are honest, then they will help. They will help with whatever they can energy, time, money, everything. And that is why our Healthcare immunization program is quite successful. 410 million jabs, 205 million people in 18 months. And that applies to all healthcare problems. This, you know, doing immunizations of cervical cancer, although not as big as uh, that one, but you need also to do massive screening and also thermal ablations or therapeutic. In 7,000 islands, the Grafonin will not be able to deliver. So, what I do, I come to the companies the banks, the mining company, you know, the forestry companies or retail companies that have a lot of outlets. Hey, you have women workers, right? So why don't you save their lives? I gave you the vaccine, but you helped me vaccinate them. And everybody wants to do it. Oh, you give me a free vaccine, I give you a free vaccine. But can you pay the health workers to vaccinate for me? And then really, it's for your employees. After they do it, can you extend to the families of your employees, the children, maybe the mother of your employees or whatever, the the niece. So that is the way that we are doing it. So we involve the private sector who also have women workers. It is their interest to give healthcare facilities to them. I give the free vaccine. I give the free screening for them to do it. On the other hand, I need funding. To be honest, I just came back from the US. I got approval from the Development Bank of four billion dollar loan for my initiative. Two days ago, I just came back from Japan. You know, one of the institution gave me ten billion yen, is about sixty eight million US to build a hospital. So in healthcare sector, as a banker, money comes easily as long as we can prove we have a good program. They trust you that the money will be invested properly. The money will come because we save lives.
0: Very interesting. Um, But can the money be sustained?
1: The money, it is definitely is a a project by project basis. But I can share with you, Indonesia is a member of Global Fund. It is a fund that helps tuberculosis, HIV, and malaria. They've been running with us for 10 years. Every three years, they give us money. So we have been doing it for the last 10 years, and I just... uh, secure the next three years and we get more than 300 million U.S. So I work with USA. USA gave us money for the last 10 to 15 years. So many other institutions, private and government, give us money. The Australian government support us with a lot of grant. My budget coming from grant is actually bigger than the other, you know, ministry in the Because why in health sector, everybody wants to help. Everybody want to help you. As long as you know you you make the connections, everybody want to help. And so far, my experience in the last three years, I never never have problem in getting the money, both from internally and also externally.
0: Very interesting. Well, uh, Pakbudi, if you can manage this across the length and breadth of a country like yours, it would be an inspiration, I think, for other upper middle and middle income countries struggling with the same challenges. Um, good luck to you, and thank you for joining me today to talk about such a critical issue that affects so many lives around the world. Uh, thank you.
1: And, and uh, for last thing, I would like to say thank you for the American government and American people for supporting Indonesia. Thank you. Excellent. That nicely
0: wraps this discussion up for the Asian Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Nirmal Ghosh. Join me and my expert guests for the next episode on the fourth Friday of every month.